This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So we are on the bottom, page one seventy-nine, the middle of letter ten. And he's explaining there's two types of kindness of Hashem. There's one called Chesed Olam, which is a limited kindness, a kindness that fits into the world, that's measured. And then there's a Rav Chesed, which is infinite kindness. And he explains that the Torah is all kindness. The Torah is all about drawing down a new light, a new revelation into this world. But it's tempered by the left hand, which is Gevuras, which is... The fire, that's why the Torah was given in the language of the Chazal Mepi in the mouth of the strong one, which represents limitation, because Hashem defined himself and put himself, allowed himself to be grasped in the finite physical world. And that's why all the mitzvot are highly measured and precisely measured and have definitions, including the act of chesed, the act of tzedakah. The Torah gives measurements. What are your obligations and what are your limits? The Torah gives limits. There's kindness, but there's limits to the kindness. You're obligated to give 10%. You're not allowed to give more than 20%. You're not allowed to impoverish yourself. Even kindness comes with limitations. Realistic, because we're living in the realistic world, in the practical world, and therefore you have to be practical. You have to be realistic. The Torah was given to humans, and you have to be, we know we we are finite. And no matter how dedicated and devoted we are, we can be so dedicated and devoted, we can jump off a roof. But no matter how dedicated and devoted you are, you can't jump onto the roof. You have to acknowledge your limitations. And the Torah was given to human beings, practical human beings. And therefore, the Torah was given in very precise measurements, including the act of selflessness and kindness and tzedakah and charity and goodness. There's a limit, an upper limit. There's a minimum we're obligated to give. And then there's an upper limit. You're not allowed to give more than 20%. But then there is a different level of kindness called infinite kindness. That's the kindness, that's the revelation of godliness that transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. It's infinite. When are we called upon to summon this level of kindness? When a person missed out or a person created a hole in the universe. If we followed the Torah and the mitzvot from day one, the moment we became bar mitzvah and bas mitzvah, we followed the Torah and we never missed a beat, we never skipped a beat, we never missed a single mitzvah, then you're right, the Torah is intended to be followed and to be lived in in a very practical and a very down-to-earth, and a very lim- we live in a finite limited setting and the Torah was given to us who operate in this finite limited setting. So although we're dealing with Torah, which is inherently infinite and godly, 
But God packaged himself and revealed himself in our setting. He wants us to transform this world, this practical human world that we live in, limited world, and to transform it into a godly world, into a Torah world. That's why the Torah was given to us in measurement, 613 mitzvahs, and every mitzvah is to be very precise. Emotions are not enough. Well, I love God. What difference does it make if I'm careful, if I'm specific? No, it has to be precise. We can relate to that in the internet age. You know, if you missed the dot before the com, <laughs> you're lost in cyberspace. Every detail is relevant. The smallest detail, and you're off. But I had 99.9% I'm correct. So I missed one tiny dot. Well, that's enough. You're, you're lost. It has to be precise. But that's true if you are following the straight and the narrow, and you've lived all your life that way. But what if you miss a mitzvah? And if you miss a mitzvah, there's no going back. You never get that opportunity. You're on a once in a lifetime, world class cruise around the world. You miss the boat. You can cry from today till tomorrow. (laughs) I missed the boat. There's nothing I can do. Every mitzvah that we lose, it's a lost opportunity and it's lost forever. If you miss the Shema one day, you you can never make it up. Next week and tomorrow is a new obligation. A new opportunity to draw down a new light into this world. The light that you should have drawn down yesterday and you could have drawn that opportunity is lost. So you've, so you've left a hole in the universe. There's an opportunity that can never be recaptured. What do you do? How do you make up for it? There's nothing I can do. I can cry. Yom Kippur can pass. There's nothing I can do to make up. When I do a sin of commission, I do something wrong, I do something negative, I do damage, I can fix. Damage I can fix. I can apologize, I can make up for it, I can mend, I can heal. But all the mending and the healing will not make up for that lost, that lost opportunity. I missed it. I, I blew it. I, so how do you make up for it? There's nothing within the framework of the universe that can help you make up for it. Unless you go deeper, you go to the source, you go to the root, you go to Hashem, you tap into God who's so not only infinite but undefined, who's so beyond, he's beyond the whole frame of reference of the universe. When you tap into that, the essence of Hashem, there you can make up for anything. You can draw down such an intense light that can make up for anything. But that requires a very profound, earth-shattering level of teshuvah. Something that shakes you up to your core, which is very rare. Talmud says it was one Rabbi Lazar ben Dardaya. He was the greatest playboy in his time. And his courtesan insulted him and he took it to heart and he went to the mountaintop and started wailing, please pray for me. And they said, we can hardly pray for ourselves, we'll pray for you. And then he realized no one in the universe could help him. He put his, his head between his legs and he cried and cried until his soul expired. And Rebbe, the author of the mission, has cried and said, there is a person who can acquire a shear in the world to come in one moment. Because he was a bum, a lowlife, a playboy all of his life. And at that one moment, he did such a profound teshuva, something that shook him to his core until he physically expired. He was so moved. And forever he's called a rabbi Elazar ben Dodaya, a rabbi. What are you, rabbi? He never got smich. His whole life he was visiting the Red District. <laughs> That's where he hung around. Never hung around the shul. Or the, you never saw him in shul or the base of Medrash. 
But, but his truva was so deep and so profound. He was moved to his core and his essence that it completely transformed him. So his heartfelt teshuva touched God himself. You know, it's like a lake that's clogged. What do you do? You have to go deeper until you release the fresh water that suddenly it washes away all the, uh, you know, all the growth. And so he went so deep into his soul, which touched the depth of Hashem, so to speak, God's infinite self, the truly infinite, that's beyond the whole universe. And that's why he was able to fill such an intense light that filled up in that one moment, that flash, brilliant flash, he was able to fill the void, the hole. All those lost opportunities were made up in one moment. He acquired his share in the world to come in one second. What it takes a person to accomplish in 70, 80 years, 120 years, he did in one split second. That's the power of the truth. But the challenge, the question is, fine. He drew, he tapped into this Hashem's infinite self. But how do you draw that light into this world? For that, you need a vehicle. You need a vessel. And the vehicle and the vessel is an infinite type, type of kindness. A kindness that's way beyond the letter of the law. A kindness that knows no limits and no bounds. A kindness that matches that heartfelt, earth-shattering shift and change inside the person. That core movement inside the person that touches your very essence. It comes from every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. And that's expressed in a type of kindness that knows no limit. Where these limitations, these upper limits, where you're not allowed to give more than 20%, all those limits go out the window. And through that, all the losses and all the lost opportunities, all the holes are filled and that light is able to be drawn into this world. So you accomplish your mission in this world. Your mission in this world is to draw down God's infinite light. But what do you do with all those lost opportunities? There's nothing you could do to make up for it. The only thing you can do is this radical shift inside, which is reflected in your action, in your behavior. A kindness that knows no limit. A kindness that's insane. A kindness that's beyond rational, even by the rational of Torah. Torah says, stop, enough. You don't have to go crazy. To be calm, measured, precise, defined. But the Torah is speaking to sane, rational people. But when the world goes insane, society goes insane, man goes insane, and we stop living by the Torah, we stop living by morals, ethics, normal, rational behavior, when the whole world goes insane in a negative way, then you can't limit yourself to you can't just live just by sanity and rational. You have to do something that's breakthrough, something that you have to think out of the box. You have to do something that's earth-shattering. So the kindness also has to match. The kindness has to be such a kindness that's way beyond any rational, measured... You can't have a measured response. Extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary responses. So a person who missed out on all those opportunities calls for extraordinary response. It has to be a kindness which is way off the charts, beyond any limitation. And this is the meaning of the verse, Hashem prefers tzedakah and justice over offering.
because the sacrifices are defined in terms of quantity, dimension, and limitation. While charity can be dispensed without limit for the purpose of rectifying one's sins. Although, like the sacrifices, tzedakah also affects atonement, it may be offered unlike the sacrifices without limit. It is therefore able to draw down divine illumination that is correspondingly infinite and thereby secure a superior order of atonement. The verse is saying that the act of tzedakah, Hashem chooses over the act of sacrifices. Well, the act of sacrifices is also to appease Hashem, to atone. But yet the act of sacrifices are very precise and very within the framework that we operate, which is very limited and precise and exact. But with tzedakah, you can go beyond your limitations. You can give tzedakah in a way that's completely beyond beyond any, any calculation. The obvious question is, if you look at the verse, the verse says, someone who does tzedakah and mishpat, justice, is Hashem chooses that over sacrifice, over offerings. Okay, tzedakah we understand, because tzedakah is giving without any limitations. Where does justice come into the picture? So, Rebbe explains that the, the verse is sharpening and explaining the definition of tzedakah. When it says tzedakah, we have the same question. Tzedakah is also limited. The Torah also gives us lower limits, upper limits, how much he should give tzedakah. So to explain that we're talking about a type of tzedakah that's beyond any limitation, that's off the charts. See, he says, a tzedakah that's accompanied by justice. In other words, a tzedakah, a type of charity and tzedakah that comes to make up. That's a mishpat, that's a judgment. It's a judgment that I'm trying to make up something that I lacked. It's a rectification of a sin. There's a judgment over my head. So the type of tzedakah that makes up for that that judgment. In general, it says that there is... We find elsewhere, it says, Mishpat to Tzedakah, justice and Tzedakah. What's the connection? So it's explained elsewhere that justice is when a person makes a calculation. How much money do I need to live? I'll take what I need, and the rest I'll give to Tzedakah. That's the exact opposite. Usually we judge what the other person needs. Okay, let let me give him the basic necessities, and the rest I'll keep. Here it's just the, the exact opposite. You are just with yourself. You're strict with yourself. Because usually you give tzedakah, you give a percentage of your earnings. You give 10%. A generous person gives 20%. Someone who does justice before tzedakah, like Avram Avinu, the epitome of kindness, the one who taught us kindness, he did the reverse. He gave himself a percentage. <laughs> he took for himself a percentage, 10% he needed for himself to live, and the rest he gave to tzedakah. It's a different attitude. First, you do justice. What do I need? God gave me. I have to provide for myself. I have to take care of my family. It's my first responsibility. We learned in the previous letter, your family comes first. You have an obligation to take care of your family. So I have what I need. All the rest, let me give away to tzedakah. So this is a tzedakah that's beyond calculation. This is, this is way off the charts. This is not something, it's not ordinary completely extraordinary it's astonishing it's, 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 it's incredible unheard of 
especially money, the ultimate ego symbol, which a person honestly acquired through hard work and and this whole attitude that it's not mine and God, it's a gift from God and I can give it away, you know, th- this is a tremendous, tremendous thing. So God finds it more pleasing than sacrifices. As great as, as an atonement as sacrifices are, that's an ordinary atonement. But the atonement that you achieve through giving this type of tzedakah, tzedakah that knows no limits, this touches the essence of God. This draws down an infinite light a light that's way beyond the whole universe, way beyond the whole frame of reference of the universe. A light that can fill and plug all the holes. Anything that's lacking and anything that's missing, it's completely filled. So this is extraordinary. Because ordinarily we say that tshuva does not help. You can't repent on a lost opportunity. A lost opportunity is exactly that, a lost opportunity. You never get to make it up. You lost a day, that day is never coming back. There's nothing you can do to make it up. They say the... Uh, Youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> those years are never coming back. All those lost opportunities. We sat in yeshiva and you wasted your time and you wasted your days and hours and weeks. And that, those opportunities will never come back. It's too late. Life moves on. Now is a new day, a new challenge. You're lucky if you do everything you have to do today. You can't make up for yesterday. But when you, when you tap in and you draw down this infinite light, you can make up for anything. There's no limits. And this is the infinite kindness. God is interactive. God responds to our kindness, our level of kindness. When we do an act of infinite kindness, an act that's completely beyond any limitation, an extraordinary act, this draws down an extraordinary response from Hashem. We draw down this extraordinary infinite light of Hashem that plugs all the holes and fills the vacuum and makes up for any lost time and any lost opportunities. But now he's going to address the question doesn't the Talmud say that not only is there an upper limit to how much you give tzedakah, you're only a generous person, everyone is obligated to give 10%. Obviously, a person who's struggling to pay his bills doesn't have to give 10%. If it's a question of putting food on your table, you don't have to give 10% if you don't have it. But every Jew is obligated to give tzedakah. Even the biggest pauper is obligated to give tzedakah because there's always someone who's worse off than you. As the person who had no shoes was complaining until he met the person who has no leg. There's always someone who's less fortunate than us. And we have something to give. The Torah requires every Jew to look at himself as a giver, as a provider, as a creator. Someone who can take care of someone else. We are never allowed to look at ourselves only as I'm a nobody and I'm dependent and what can I do, what can I contribute and who am I? I'm not a Rockefeller. No, there's no such thing. Every Jew is obligated to look at himself as a sustainer, a creator, a giver, a provider, because there's always someone less fortunate that I can give. I'm in a position to help and to give. Every one of us. A person who's, who's able, 10%. A person should be generous, 20%. And in general, all mitzvot, positive mitzvot, you don't have to bankrupt yourself to fulfill a mitzvah. There's a limit. I only have to spend up until 20% of my, of my financial means to fulfill a mitzvah. When it comes to tzedakah, the Talmud says even stronger. You're not allowed to spend more than 20%. So how could I violate this prohibition? How can we say that you should give tzedakah and give tzedakah without any limits and if anything, keep 10% for yourself and give 90% of your money away to tzedakah? 
95%, how, what do you mean? How, how The Torah tells me I'm not allowed to. It's illogical. It's irrational. I'm going to impoverish myself. What's the point? I'm going to become a ward, a ward of the state. I'm going to become a welfare recipient. I'm not fulfilling anything. If I'm just going to give everything that I have, I'm going to give everything away, then instead of being a provider and a contributing member of society, I'm going to become dependent. So what did I, I just became a burden on society. It's foolish. It's foolhardy. The Torah says you're not allowed to. So how can you say that a person should give tzedakah without any limits? That's what he's going to address now. As for the ruling that he who is unstinted in charitable giving should not expend more than one-fifth of his earnings, this applies only to one who has not sinned or who has rectified his sins by means of selfishness and fast, as indeed all the blemishes above should be rectified. But as to him who still needs to remedy his soul, the healing of the soul is obviously no less a priority than the healing of the body, where money does not count. As scripture states, whatever a man has, he will give on behalf of his soul. He's saying a very simple thing. We know that one to ten, what priority is health in our life? If ten is the highest? Ten? ten? No, eleven. Eleven. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding we live in this neighborhood we should know people come here from all over the world there's nothing in the world that a person won't do to regain his health they'll bankrupt themselves they come to all these world class hospitals we have probably the largest concentration of world class hospitals in the world there's nothing in the world that people won't do to regain their health people will bankrupt themselves people undergo painful procedures we don't compromise on our health we'll do anything so al is asking a simple question is spiritual health any less important than physical health? If we're ready to bankrupt ourselves when our physical health is in danger, is challenge, how much more so when our spiritual health is in danger and challenge? Physical health affects us physically. Spiritual health affects us eternally. It's much deeper, much more profound. It affects us in this world and the world to come. So if God forbid, if we're unhealthy spiritually, if we're ready to do anything, there's nothing in the world we won't do our physical health, surely there's nothing in the world that will, that will hold us back from regaining our spiritual health. So if someone told you that there's a medicine that will cure you, but there's medicine, you have to mortgage your house, you have to bankrupt yourself, is, is there a doubt about you? You won't even hesitate for a moment. Who cares about money? Who cares about mortgage? Who cares about anything? I'll do anything. I want to live. The will to live is more powerful than anything in the world. I'll substitute my wealthy existence for existence, period. <laughs> How much more so spiritual health? So if a doctor came to you and said, you want your spiritual health back, you have to give every penny that you have to tzedakah. Where do I write the check? <laughs> Pleasure. So the Alter Rebbe says, we're not talking about when the Talmud says, don't give money, don't give more than 20%. We're talking about someone who's giving tzedakah because he wants to discipline himself, he wants to do good acts, he wants to just do a good act of kindness. But when tzedakah is medicine, when my life depends on that tzedakah, the well-being of my soul depends on that tzedakah, it's medicine for me. So I can spend all my money on, on medicine, on pills, on doctors, but I won't spend on psychiatrists and psychologists, but I won't spend all my money on, on my spiritual doctor, my spiritual medicine, my spiritual... Who am I kidding? Of course I would. All these limitations fall by the wayside. These limitations don't apply. Limitations is talking about a Jew who's always followed the straight and the narrow, never veer off the course. He's living a Jewish life, a Torah life, a godly life, a holy life. 
So the Torah says, yes, you have to operate within the framework of, of this world. You have to be practical. You have to be limited. Everything has to be precise, exact. Not more, not less. There's an upper limit, a lower limit. But a person who's sick, spiritually sick, a person who missed that in all the mitzvah, when society has gone mad, the world around us has gone mad, and we have gone mad, under these extraordinary circumstances, you need extraordinary medicine. You need a powerful dose of medicine. You need a, an unusual type of tzedakah, an unusual level of kindness, an unusual level of selflessness and sacrifice and goodness and kindness. It's off the charts. It's not necessary in normal times. We're not living in normal times. You are unhealthy. You're in a very sick situation. When you're living in such an environment, such a situation, you have to take extraordinary measures. So all these limitations fall by the ways. The simple meaning of the verse is that a person will forgo all his wealth in order to save his life. However, since the word soul is used rather than life, we may also understand this to mean that a person will give everything he has in order to save and rectify his soul. The Baal Shem Tev, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Alter Rebbe referred to as Zaydi, gave a different answer. He was also asked the same question. And he would also give everything that he had, he would give to tzedakah. So he says, the language of the Chazal is very precise, very interesting. The, the Chazal, the rabbis say, HaMevazvez. HaMevazvez, Yosem It's a very unusual choice of words. Bizbuz really comes from the root, in Hebrew, comes from the root of spoils, war spoils. Bizbuz. War spoils. So the rabbis used this very unusual expression. Should have said, whoever gives tzedakah, don't give hayitein, anoisin, altitein. Whoever gives, don't give more than 20%. Why is he? I'm a vazvez of said, every word by the rabbis in the Torah is precise. The Torah is talking about a Jew. For him, giving tzedakah is war. <laughs> it's like a conflict. It's difficult, difficult for you to give tzedakah. If it's difficult for you to give tzedakah, you have to battle with yourself. It's like going to war. Are you kidding? To give my hard-earned money? You know how difficult it is to write that track? The hand is shaking when you write that track. Why should I give my hard-earned money to this undeserving person? What did he do for it? It's hard for you. You have to break yourself. You have to break your ego, overcome your natural selfishness and self-centeredness, self-absorption, and this sense of entitlement. I earned this money. I worked hard for it. Why should I give it away? So the Talmud says, a person who for him, giving tzedakah is something that's so difficult for you. It's hard for you. It's like war, going to war. So then there's a limit. You don't have to give more than 20%. Don't give more than 20%. You're obligated to give 10%, but you want to be generous and push yourself. You have to give, you're not allowed to give more than 20%. We don't want to break you. You know, the story of this great Hasidic Rebbe in Eastern Europe, he, you know, he, every penny he had, he would give away to tzedakah. And he was suffering personally. He didn't have money to pay for basic necessities. And once this very wealthy Jew, who was very successful, the Rebbe gave him a blessing and his business boomed and took off. And he was, to show gratefulness, he comes to the Rebbe with a huge bag of golden coins. He says, Rebbe, this is all yours. And the Rebbe says, no, please, I don't want to take it back. And he left. And the Hasidim were shocked. He says, Rebbe, 
We know your desperate situation. This, this is your salvation. God sent you a gift. You would have solved all your problems. And plus, and the Rebbe smiled, he says, if you would have seen with the great pleasure he took the money back, <laughs> he says, you would understand. It was so painful to watch. It was so hard for him to give away the money. It's not worth it. Take, take your lousy money and keep it. It was once a... Uh, Chaim uh, Tzanzer, the great Hasidic master in Europe, and Anyom Kippur, the wealthiest Jew in town, who was an ex- extreme miser, big miser. And suddenly he started yelling in the middle of the synagogue, middle of the service, I'm dying. I need a rabbi to give me permission to drink. I have to break my fast. I'm dying here. I, I can't. I'm sick. I'm dying. And the rabbis went over with him and he said, Okay, if you're dying, we believe you, and you have to be allowed to break your fast, but you have to drink a sip at a time. Because if you drink the amount, if you drink like a, the amount, that a certain amount, then you violate Yom Kippur. But if you drink a few sips at a time, at least biblically you haven't violated it. He says, no, no, I'm dying here. What sips at a time? I need, I need huge cups of water. So they ran to the Rebbe. What should we do? The Rebbe smiles. Just tell them very simply. No problem. We'll give you huge buckets of water. I one condition. After Yom Kippur, you have to, the same amount of buckets of water that you used to fill up water, you have to fill up with golden coins and give it to Tzedakah. <laughs> Miraculously, his illness was cured. <laughs> he didn't need any water. He was suddenly okay. So a Jew, for him, it's painful to give Tzedakah. And that's why, the, by the way, how we answer, my, it seems like a contradiction in Maimonides. So one place, one hand, the Mishnah says, we say it every morning in the davening, an introduction to the davening, to the prayer, that these are the things that have no limit. And one of them is doing kindness. But here there is a limit. Up until 20%, there is an upper limit. What do you mean they have no kindness? So the simple explanation is the mission is talking about things that don't require money. There's a lot of other ways to do kindness. Personal kindness. To visit the sick, to comfort, to comfort the mourners, to help the bride and groom, rejoice with the bride and groom. That is no limitation. You don't have to spend a penny. Just go and be there. And so that, there's no limitation. When it comes to spending money, there, there are limitations. But yet, we do find in Maimonides a contradiction. In one place he says, you're not allowed to give more than 20%. Another place he says, you're not, you know, you're not obligated to give more than 20%. But he implies, if you want, you could give more than 20%. So the commentaries reconcile this contradiction in Maimonides that is referring to two, two different scenarios. One scenario, he's talking about a person on his own. He wants to be generous. He wants to give tzedakah. He wants to break his evil inclination. He wants to overcome his ego and his natural self-absorption and self-centeredness. He wants to overcome that. So he wants to give tzedakah. So there, as the Balshamtev said, someone who has to do battle with himself. He wants to overcome his, his negative inclination and he wants to do the godly thing, the good thing, the right thing. So, so he pushes himself to give 20%. So there, the Torah says there's a limit upper limit, not more than 20%. When Maimonides says you're not obligated to give more than 20%, like any other mitzvah you're not obligated to, but of course if you want to be Hasidic, if you want to go beyond the letter of the Lord, truly admirable, it's a wonderful thing, he's talking about a scenario where a poor person is knocking on your door. And the poor person is starving to death. So what are you going to tell them? Sorry, you're going to have to die today. I mean, I reached my limit. The Torah says I'm not allowed to help you. (laughs) You're not obligated but come on, I mean, the person is starving. Of course, you, it's, it's commendable, it's, 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 it's ideal. You know, help him, give him some bread, give him, feed him. There, there's, you can't 
limit yourself. You don't have to limit yourself. You can go beyond the letter of law. You're not obligated. But there it's commendable and worthy to go beyond the letter of law and to help a poor person. But a person, when there's no poor person knocking on your door, just on your own, you just want to train yourself to be generous and train yourself to be godly and good, and therefore you're pushing yourself to go beyond your obligation, there the Torah puts an upper limit. Says the Baal Shem if a per- what if a person enjoys giving tzedakah? It's your pleasure. So, so does it make sense? The 80% that I'm keeping for myself, I can go on a ski vacation, I can take a cruise around the world, I can go have fun, but God forbid I should give tzedakah. It's my pleasure. I'm not doing it because it's a mitzvah, because I'm obligated to. I enjoy giving tzedakah. I enjoy being kind. I enjoy being godly. I enjoy being a provider, and being a partner with Hashem, a provider, a giver, a creator. So I can spend it for myself? This is spending for myself. This is my enjoyment. Just like others spend their money on themselves. They buy three homes and four homes and yachts and this. This is my pleasure to give to duck and to help. I don't need all of that. So, of course there's no limit, says the Baal How could you say there's a limit? You're not allowed to give tzedakah. I'm allowed to spend it on myself. Anything that I find pleasurable? Well, what if I find this pleasurable? To be kind and good and give tzedakah? Of course there's no limitation. That's why the Talmud is precise. Hamavazvez. So and that for him giving tzedakah is like war spoils. It's like difficult. It's a battle. It's a conflict. Then the Torah says, okay, you don't have to give more than 20%. That's the Baal Shem Tov's explanation. Now the Rebbe is saying here that here we're talking about a medicine. It's your medicine. Your life depends on it. Your soul is sick. You missed out. You missed out all those lost opportunities. And there's nothing in the world you can do to make it up. The only medicine, the only antidote is to give tzedakah, extraordinary tzedakah, tzedakah without any limitation. This is your cure, this is your medicine. So surely, there's no limit. A person will do anything for his health. If that's true for your physical health, how much more so, there's nothing you won't do for your, for your spiritual health. And we are living in extraordinary times. That's what he's going to conclude the letter, we're going to conclude the letter today, we are living in extraordinary times because the Rebbe instituted something that never happened before in Jewish history. His personal shluchim, emissaries, which he sent all over the world. And it's the ultimate act of selflessness, of kindness. Yes, true, all Jews are obligated for each other and responsible for each other, but no one ever did this before. To leave your community in Brooklyn, the cocoon of your home and your family, Take your fam- pick yourself up, take your family and move to the end of the earth. Far-flung places. You know, in many cases, the first and only observant Jew when they move in. And you have nowhere to send your children for education. Most shluchim probably hardly ever had a single Passover seder just for their families. The family had a seder with a larger Jewish family, with their communities communal seder. When there's a biblical obligation, the Torah commands you to teach your children on Pesach, Pesach night, you have to educate your children. Where does it say, where is it hinted at, where, where does it say that a Jew is obligated to pick himself up from Brooklyn and to move to Alaska and to move to Honolulu and to move to every corner in God's earth to help another Jew that he's never seen before and never heard before. It's the ultimate act of selflessness, of kindness. There's no source for this, there's no doesn't mention it's not mentioned anywhere. But the Rebbe said that the Talmud says why was the temple destroyed? 
because of causeless hatred. Hatred for no reason. Just two egos who can't get along. For no reason. No rhyme and reason. Two people can't stand each other. Why not? I didn't harm you. I'm not even thinking about you. But my ego, your ego gets in the way. My ego gets in the way. Our egos don't get along. There's no reason. Just foolish, silly hatred. Just from ego. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to this darkness? What's the antidote to this exile? There has to be unconditional love. A love without reason. There's no rhyme and no reason for a Jew to pick himself up. A Hasidic Jew who's steeped in Torah and godliness and holiness to pick himself up and to go to the end of the earth just to be there for their fellow Jew. It's an unconditional love. It's a kindness, a selflessness that's uncalled for, it's extraordinary, it never existed before. But the Rebbe says when you're living in times of madness, when you're living in such darkness, the antidote has to be such a light, such an intense light, such an intense love, such an intense goodness and kindness and selflessness that was never done before. And it's uncalled for, and, and it's even questionable if you're even allowed to do something like that. But it's without calculation. This is the type of kindness that he's describing here. A kindness that knows no limits. A kindness that's way beyond the call of duty. Kindness that's not even hinted at in the Torah. But when you have such darkness and such selfishness and such politics and such friction and fragmentation and arguments and labelizing and arguments from one Jew and the next, the only answer has to be such a powerful, simple, true, genuine Love, I love my fellow Jew exactly as I love myself. And whatever I'll do for myself, I'll do for him. No questions asked, no strings attached. This is an extraordinary kindness, an extraordinary revelation of godliness, which is summoned by our extraordinary act, act of selflessness and act of kindness. It comes from the very core and essence of the Jew. And this is what touches the Jew. When the Jew in Alaska sees the rabbi coming there, it's not a nine-to-five job. He's not coming there for a stint, like an ambassador for a year or two, and then he adds it to his resume, it's a nice feather in his cap, and then he goes back to Jerusalem and goes back to Brooklyn. No, I'm here for life. I'm here till Mashiach comes. And I'm with you. Whatever happens to you is going to happen to me. We're in this together. And the Jew says, wait a minute. He's really here for me? I'm so important? I matter so much? I'm not just a little Jew lost in nowhere. I matter so much that he picked himself up, left his family behind, left everything behind, sacrificing his wife and his children and his own spiritual well-being just for my sake. This simple act of kindness touches the Jew to his core. And he sees, you know, this is for real. This Judaism thing is for real. That I'm valuable and I'm important enough. And my actions are valuable and important enough. And I matter. And everything that I do matters to Hashem and matters to the entire Jewish people. My participation as a Jew, my being proud of my Jewishness, my being a, a part of the Jewish people and feeling part of our history and part of our destiny of Mashiach, this wakes them up. This extraordinary act of selflessness and kindness touches the Jew to his very core and essence. And it evokes a response from above, from on high, from Hashem. And Hashem sees these 4,000 Chabad houses and 4,000 Shluchim and 5,000. You know, Hashem can't help but respond. God is interactive with an intense revelation of godliness, 
that can illuminate this darkness that we have to face today. And this will bring Mashiach. This will draw down the Gula. This will draw down the Rebbe. And now he's coming to the conclusion of the letter and he's going to answer the question that he asked at the beginning of the letter. He based himself in the beginning of the letter. The letter is based on a verse in Eicha, in the Lamentation, where the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting the destruction of the temple. So he says, The kindness of Hashem... So the simple explanation is that God's kindness knows no end, has not ended. But then the grammar doesn't make sense. In Hebrew, he should have said the kindness of Hashem. On page 165 is the beginning of the letter, and he asked the question, the kindness of Hashem is, he should have said, the kindness of Hashem did not end. Instead, it says, we did not end. So that's what he's going to answer now. The Alpha now returns to the verse quoted at, at the outset of the Sigeret HaKodesh, The kindness of God has surely not ended. There he had asked, if the verse refers only to God's kindness, why does it use the verb tamu in the first person plural, which would make the phrase mean, we have not been brought to an end, rather than tamu, in the third person plural, which would mean that the kindness have not ended. He answers this by saying that the kindness of God refers also to the giving of tzedakah without limitation accordingly. The verse may be understood as he now goes on to explain. Now, since this is God's manner of practicing benevolence, this mode of unlimited kindness is known by the name of the Holy One, blessed be He, the kindness of God. Like he said earlier, there is chesed oilam. There is a kindness that's part of this world, which fits the world. It's a kindness that's practical, limited, defined. But then there's a kindness which is infinite. The kindness of Hashem, just like God Himself is infinite, is a kindness that knows no limit. And that's what he's referring to. Chazdei Hashem, a type of kindness, which is like a godly kindness, a kindness that knows no limit whatsoever. As it is written, and God's chesed is everlasting. Chesed Hashem, the kindness of God, a godly type of kindness, is an infinite type of kindness, which is everlasting forever and ever. Although all of Israel are compassionate and practice kindly deeds, Nevertheless, there is a limit and measure to man's compassion. But the Holy One, blessed be He, is called the Aesof, the Infinite One. And His attributes, like Himself, have no end, as it is written, for His mercies never cease. When a Jew echoes God's boundless kindness and compassion, His actions are God's terms, God's acts of kindness. So there is a kindness which is part of our nature. Jews by nature are kind, compassionate, and we're just born with it. It's inherent. It's innate. We're born with that uh, trait. That's why Jews are disproportionately represented in all of the charities. Innately, we are sensitive and compassionate and kind. Um, In Haiti, we were the first ones. In Haiti, we were the first ones there, even before the Americans. We even offered Iran. A few years ago, Iran had a huge earthquake. And unfortunately, we have more experience than anyone else in dealing 
with these type of situations because of the missiles sponsored by Iran. And yet we offered, it was a humanitarian disaster, and Israel, the Jews, offered Iran to help them, because they would rather die than get our help. This is part of our DNA, and our genes, naturally. We are just a compassionate people. But nevertheless, it's part of our nature. No matter how much we empathize, and no matter how much empathy we have, no matter how kind we are, it's limited. It's limited to our nature. But then there's a kindness, when a Jew does a kindness, that truly reflects God's kindness. A kindness that knows no limit. That's beyond our nature. Going way beyond our nature. Even our nature of kindness. And that's what it refers to, chesed Hashem. So he's not talking about God's kindness. He's talking about when we act in a godly way. When we reflect God's kindness. So this is a kindness which can only be called godly. Because it's not nature. When a person follows his nature, it's limited. Why would a person go beyond his nature? Why would a person give more than 20%? Why would a person give all of his money to tzedakah? It's, the motivation has to be, it doesn't come from ego. It doesn't come from nature. Even a good nature. It comes from godliness. When you're so connected to Hashem, and you know, realize that Hashem's kindness is infinite, so we in turn also act godly and become infinite in our kindness, beyond any calculation. And this is the meaning of the prophet's words. After the destruction and the exile, the kindness of God has surely not ended. He told me. That is because we are not perfect. And as much as we are not perfect, can we mean a whole without any sin or blemish in our soul when the higher words? We therefore need to conduct ourselves in accordance with God's kindness. So that's what he's explaining. The verse is explaining why do we need such extraordinary measures, a type of kindness which is off the charts, which is way beyond any limitations, even the limitations of Torah. Because we're in a time of destruction. We're in in extraordinary times. We're in a time of darkness. We're in a time where we are incomplete. We're so incomplete. We're so shattered. Our lives are shattered. Our spiritual lives are shattered. The destruction of the temple was just a symptom of our spiritual destruction, our inner destruction. When our soul needs such a healing, when our soul is in such a dark place, ordinary measures won't do it. A healthy person, if he eats healthy, that will keep him healthy. But a person who's already sick and way gone it's not eating healthy it's not alone it's not going to do it you need a powerful medicine that will jumpstart the health system so when we're in a time of such darkness such destruction such chaos which reflects our inner darkness inner chaos because we're so incomplete we need Hashem. the only response the only antidote for us is an extraordinary level of kindness an extraordinary level of goodness that's way beyond anything we've ever seen before so the answer is not to retreat and not to hunker down. On the contrary, the Jewish response to negativity and to tragedy and to darkness is to intensify our efforts, to redouble our efforts. Now we need to summon a level of light and this level of goodness and a level of kindness and a level of holiness that our parents didn't need because they were living in a sane, rational world and their souls were... So therefore, they were living in calm times and measured times and therefore they can, you can also respond in a measured way with a measured response. But when you're living in such turbulence, in such turmoil, in such chaos, in such 
negativity, the only response has to be this powerful response, this powerful, intense light, this intense level of kindness that knows no limits. If the world went crazy on us, we have to go crazy. As uh, the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, said about the Rebbe, a world that hunted every Jew down with such hatred, it wasn't only Hitler and his henchmen. And the world let six million die. They didn't bomb a single concentration camp. Only once in the war, one concentration camp was bombed by accident. And I'm sure that Pilate was grounded for the rest of the war. The world wanted those six million gone. Our president sent back that boat, Louisiana. And we know what happened to them. The world knew exactly what's going to happen to them and they were very happy. They didn't want those Jews, those pains in the necks, those Jewish people. A world that can hunt every Jew down with such hatred. A, Jew, a world that went crazy. A world that went insane. A world that went mad. We have to be mad in the positive way. The Rebbe says we're going to hunt down every Jew with love. We're going to find every last Jew in every corner on earth and tell them you're a Jew and we love you and you're important and we need you and you're an integral part of the Jewish people. Because it has to be a commensurate response. When you live in times of madness, you also have to go mad in holiness. You can't just be measured and limited. Those are good if you're living in a sane world. But when the world went bonkers, the world went insane, the world went crazy and mad, such darkness, unprecedented, unheard of, the response has to be also unprecedented selflessness, unprecedented godliness, sacrifice, goodness, kindness, beyond any calculations, off the charts. That's what the Navi, that's what Jeremiah the prophet is saying. Why do we need Chazdi Hashem, such extraordinary level of kindness? Because Kilei Samna, we're on whole, we're incomplete. So this is the only antidote. Measured, move, measured steps and measured kindness won't do the trick anymore. We need an extraordinary light. Like, why was the Baal Shem to reveal the revelation of Hasidus? Why do we have the Tanya now? Why didn't they have the Tanya a thousand years ago? They were such great Jews. Why didn't they have the benefit of the Tanya? Only we. Because we live in such dark times, we need this powerful, we, we couldn't make it without the Tanya. When you, have such, when you live in such crazy times, Hashem gave us also, gave us, He revealed all the hidden treasures without any calculation. He, all the secrets, Kabbalah was secret for thousands of years. Nobody it was hidden treasures that no one ever saw. If you were lucky, you got to, 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 to uh, glance at it. Only a handful of people. And here Hashem opened the treasures and enabled us, simple Jews, to study all the secrets of the Torah, the gems of the Torah. Because when you're living in extraordinary times, in extraordinary darkness, you have to have extraordinary response. The Talmud was good enough when our ancestors studied Talmud a thousand years ago, that's all they needed. The Talmud would make them cry. The Talmud would touch their soul. The Talmud was enough to inspire them. They didn't need anything else. But we today, to jumpstart, to start, to, to ignite that spark, that Jewish passion, that Jewish... We need something extraordinary. We need, we need the depth of the Torah, the crown jewels of the Torah, the deepest secrets of the Torah. When a world is good, that's, that went hardcore, everything today is hardcore, in the negativity, we need hardcore holiness. We can't, we can't just go with measured, limited. Hashem says, 
we're throwing all the gates open. Everything's now out in the open. All the secrets that have been treasured for thousands of years are now being revealed. Because we need this extraordinary light, this extraordinary level of holiness, just to be able to keep up, just to be able to do what we need to do. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah is explaining. Chazdei Hashem, why do we need such an extraordinary level of kindness? Now our ancestors, our parents didn't need such a level of kindness. For them it was enough to do a regular kindness, a measured kindness. But for us it's not enough. We have to respond with a powerful kindness. Why? Because of our sorry state, because of our situation we find ourselves. This is the, our only antidote. In order to call down upon ourselves supreme compassion, i.e., Rav said, an unlimited, infinite compassion, as it is written at the conclusion of this verse, for his mercies never cease. Since we are in need of drawing down this level of compassion, our own practice of kindness must echo Hashem's kindness. Thus, the Prophet is telling the generations that follow the destruction that they should practice unbounded kindness because they are not in the state of Tamnu. Being imperfect, we need to arouse Hashem's infinite kindness and compassion in order to rectify any sins and blemishes. Moreover, since these latter generations are too weak to engage in fasting and self-mortification, the only means now available to secure full atonement is through Saduka. So he's saying, now we don't even have the option. Because as we learned in the letters of Teshuvah, and the Alter Rebbe there ex- discusses how in order to achieve a complete atonement, the uh, Kabbalists talk about the many fasts that you need for every sin, for every blemish that we made, you have to fast. I think for anger, was it a few hundred fasts every time you lose your temper? I mean, <laughs> if we're going to start fasting according to that, firstly, we'll never get to eat. <laughs> and it's, it's humanly impossible. I mean, it's, 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 it'll start piling up. Our, our, our debt will be like, like the United States uh, debt, <laughs> the deficit. Every sin, three hundreds of fast for this little fraction, for this little minor infraction, major infraction. What? Make us more angry. Make us more angry. Or you have to substitute it for tzedakah, then you have to give all the money in the world. But for so it's not even possible. We're not even capable. Of it. We don't even have any other option. The only way to make up and to do a complete teshuva now is by substituting it by tzedakah. And that's why the Rebbe used to stand for hours giving tzedakah. Most rabbis take money. The Rebbe was the only rabbi who gave money. <laughs> Every Sunday, thousands of people giving them tzedakah, making them partners, encouraging them to give in turn, take that dollar or substitute it and give it to tzedakah. He gave without limits. Every Sunday, tens of thousands of dollars and dollars and training us that in today's day and age we just have to give and give. And the truth is that this is what's unique about our generation. The amount of levels of tzedakah that people give today Incredible. I think we put all previous generations to shame. A level of tzedakah, it's so ingrained, so many communities. I mean, the Syrian community, the levels of tzedakah they give, the Satmar community, and so many Jews, it's just ingrained. The levels of tzedakah that people give today, it's incredible. It's extraordinary. It's, 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 it's beyond anything that the world has ever seen before in our history. First of all, the levels of wealth that we have today. And yet the Mount of Tzedakah, this is, this is our mitzvah, this is where we shine. And the Rebbe was trying to point out that you want to bring Mashiach, this is the way, we got, this is our strength, this is our strong point. It comes to scholarship, 
Could we compare to our ancestors? We're, we're like nothing. It's a joke. Our level of scholarship, the simplest Jew in the olden days was probably greater than some rabbis today. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, the simplest Jew knew the whole Psalms by heart. Every, with, every, as he worked throughout the day, he would recite the whole Psalm by heart once or five times during the day. How many rabbis know the, psalm, the whole Psalms by heart, word for word? You can find it on, on one hand. It's a joke. The level of scholarship today in comparison to the olden days. 13-year-olds in the olden days knew the whole Talmud backwards and forwards. I mean, you can't even compare. Let's be honest. We're the midgets of all the generations. Scholarship-wise, scholarly-wise. We are like the midgets standing on the shoulders of giants. We have the benefit of all the scholarship of all the generations. So we have that vast knowledge. We have the encyclopedic knowledge. But... Could you imagine if they had the opportunities we had today? They had the computer. How prolific they would have been. They had to write, and it was before the printing press, they had to write on, on parchment, and, and look how prolific they were. Imagine if they had the opportunities we had today, and the brain, the brain power they had, and the level, the caliber of depth, and honesty, and integrity, and getting to the point of the rabbis, the early rabbis. I mean, you know, we can't even compare, especially the Tanoim, the rabbis of the Talmud. You're talking about giants. Mental giants, spiritual giants. We're, we're like midgets. We're, we're nothing in comparison. That's not where we shine. That's not where we sparkle. Talk about the level of holiness, selflessness. They were holy people. They were, they were, they were giants. Where's the one area that we shine and we sparkle? It comes to action. Tzedakah. We are blessed. Our generation is wealthier than King Solomon could ever even imagine. The comforts. Someone made a calculation. He says, the level of quality of life, the level of life that each one of us enjoys, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, we would need, I don't know what the calculation was exactly, 240, 270 slaves just to be able to live the life that we live. In the olden days, to get water, you know what it means to get water? You had to spend, they had to spend hours just drawing water to wash clothes. Everything was a whole to-do. To bake bread, to wash clothes. Today, everything is right there. You don't have to waste. The equivalent, if you wanted to live this lifestyle, the equivalent the amount of time and people and manpower you would need to live this type of opulent lifestyle, you would need hundreds of people. And today, the simplest person has it at the, the beck and call. The wealth, the, the, the King Solomon couldn't even imagine the pleasures and the wealth that we have. One day you can eat Chinese, the next day. <laughs> this type, I mean, this, everything is available for us. The wealthiest generation of Jews that ever lived. And the amount of tzedakah that's given. It's incredible. This is where we shine, this is where we sparkle. This is what's going to bring Mashiach. This is the antidote, this is the key that will unlock Mashiach, not just for us, but for all generations. We're going to lead Moses into the Messianic era. Moses is stuck in the desert. The whole Jewish people are stuck in the desert. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Shemta, Altarem, all the rabbis. We are going to be the ones who are going to bring the whole Jewish people to the land of Israel through tzedakah. This is where we shine. This is where we sparkle. And what type of tzedakah? What level of tzedakah? A tzedakah that's limitless. A tzedakah that's mad. Honestly speaking, this is pure madness. The level of tzedakah that he's describing here is pure madness. And Al-Tarebi wrote this letter. We know the background. 
Alter Rebbe took responsibility to take care of the Jews in Israel. There was a group of Hasidim. This was 100 years before Theodor Hertel was born. The first Aliyah to Israel was a group of Hasidim led by the Alter Rebbe's mentor. The Alter Rebbe himself packed his bag, said goodbye to his, to his Hasidim and left. He reached the Turkish border before his mentor and leader of the group sent him back to Russia. He said, the Hasidim need you to lead them. You're t- far t- too valuable to leave to Israel. We need you to stay and to lead, lead the Hasidic movement. And they had desperate. They, they couldn't earn a living. Israel was desolate. You know, the Arabs claim, Israel was desolate. There was nothing there. Before the Jews came, there was nothing there. Literally, you couldn't live, you couldn't survive, you couldn't make a living. And they lived off the kindness and the generosity of the Jews in Eastern Europe, who they themselves were poor and could barely survive and feed their large families. They were so impoverished. And the Alter Rebbe used to collect from his Hasidim. He took responsibility to collect money. And once they collected, and it wasn't enough money, I don't know, something happened, there wasn't enough money. And if they waited to the next collection, they're going to starve to death by the time the next collection came. You know, until they collected the money, until they send the messenger with the money, and you have to pray that nothing happened to him on the way, he wasn't robbed. You know, this was uh, 200 years ago, over 200 years ago. And al Rebbe is turning again to his Hasidim. He says, listen, I know I just made a collection, <laughs> and I know that you took the, I took the, the bread out of your mouth to be able to make this collection. And here I'm coming back to you and asking you to give more money. It's madness. And that this is why this whole letter is explaining. This is the letter, Alter Rebbe's. This is a, an appeal letter. Not the type of appeal letters we get in our mailbox. <laughs> Some soft stories. Alter Rebbe's appeal letters are profound ideas and concepts. And he's saying, I know I'm ask- what I'm asking is madness. How can I ask you? I, you have no money left. You, you took the last penny that you had. And here I'm asking you to give more. And that's what he's explaining. This is the background. He says, listen. We're living in times of madness. It's mad times. And yes, I'm asking you a level of tzedakah, a level of kindness that's way beyond the letter of the law. It's madness. But this is what we need in today's day and age. When we're facing such exile, when we're facing such a darkness, we're facing such... Our kindness also has to match. We need a level of kindness that's pure, pure madness. Way beyond any calculation. And this is what's going to draw down Mashiach. This is going to be the antidote to all our problems all the blessings that we need in this world. And this is what our sages of blessed memory meant by saying that Israel will be redeemed only through charity. This refers to charity that they will perform even if they are legally not obligated. Right, so he's not referring to a a regular run-of-the-mill charity which we're obligated to, 10%, and even someone who wants to be generous and kind, 20%. That's not going to do the trick. That's not going to get us out of the hole. We're talking about a level of charity that's way beyond, that's pure madness, holy madness. That level of charity, a charity, the level of charity that knows no limits. It's beyond any calculation. This is the level of charity that will, the Alter Rebbe had two Hasidim, they were very wealthy. And they were very generous. But one Hasid said, my colleague is, is better than me. He says, when someone comes to me and asks for a donation, I, put, I have treasure, I have a chest in front of me, golden coins, silver coins, copper coins, and I, you know, I, I evaluate what the person needs, and I put my hand, whatever my hand scoops up, I give. He says, my friend does the same thing. The difference is, I count the money. 
<laughs> I want to know what, what, how, how good this poor person did. How much am I giving him? My friend, my colleague, just as wealthy I am, just as this, but he doesn't count his money. He just, whatever comes up, it's yours. You know, it's madness. A person has to be calculated. A person has to be measured. Well, you have to know, okay, fine, so I'm giving generously, but let me at least know what I gave him. Let me at least know. And he, it was no calculation. And they were blessed. The more money they gave, the more Hashem gave them. Like, like they couldn't empty their pockets fast enough. <laughs> the more they gave, the more Hashem just kept them pouring it in. That's the way it's, 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 you know, it's modern physics. It's like you empty your pockets and your pockets become full. It, it doesn't make sense logically. It's like quantum mechanics. <laughs> the more you give, the more Hashem fills your pockets. And, and he... You can't empty your pockets fast enough and Hashem just keeps on pouring it in and pouring it in and pouring it in. Logically, it makes no sense. It's like your breath. The more you hold your breath, you're, you're going to choke. You have to let go. You let go and then you breathe and then you're alive. For a Jew, the more you give, the more you get. The more you empty out, the more you release. Hashem can't fill a full, a full, a full pocket. You've got to empty it out and then the blessings come pouring in. But when we give infinitely, Hashem also gives infinitely. Because Hashem is interactive. Maimonides says, no one ever got hurt, got hurt by giving tzedakah. And there's the one mitzvah where Hashem says, test me. You're not allowed to test Hashem. It's one of the 613 mitzvah. Mitzvah 424. Parshas Veschanan, Deuteronomy, we just read a few weeks ago, you're not allowed to test Hashem. Tzedakah is the exception. The prophet says, please test me. I promise you, you'll give tzedakah and you will physically be blessed. You will see physically, not just in the world to come. You will physically see the blessing. So, when a person gives tzedakah without any calculation whatsoever, Hashem will respond in kind. The Mashiach, the son of David, will not come until the pocket will be empty of even the smallest coin. Usually we say it's a curse. The Talmud is describing the era of Mashiach. Right before Mashiach will come, it will be a very dark time. And one of the things that he said is the Mashiach will not come until every pocket will be empty. There will be such financial difficulties and challenges. One depression, another depression, the collapse of capitalism, all the things that we went through already. Hopefully we don't have to go through it again. But he's saying in a much deeper level, what the Talmud means is that the son of David will not come until the pocket is empty in a positive sense, until we empty our pockets, until we give tzedakah. With abandon, we give tzedakah, and even to our last penny we give. That's what he's addressing, his chassidim was so poor. We just took the last penny the last piece of bread out of the mouth. And here he says, I'm coming again to ask you to give away your last penny, literally. He says, but that's going to bring Mashiach. You know, listen, we're committed. If we're doing this, we're doing it all the way. If we believe in this and we're doing this, we're going all the way. There's no half measures. Kindness without any limitations, without any calculations, even though it's pure madness. How can I ask you? How can I ask of you to make the sacrifice, to give literally? Is way beyond 10%, way beyond 20%. It's way beyond the call of duty. But this is what we need to do. We need something earth-shattering. We need to do something earth-shattering that will evoke Hashem's response. And Hashem will respond in kind and do something earth-shattering and bring Mashiach. Mashiach is earth-shattering. So we're going to do something infinite. And we're going to do, make a move. This will arouse the response. This will evoke the response from Hashem that he'll make his move and he's going to send the son of David, Mashiach, to redeem us all, to bring his infinite light into this world and to transform this world.
i.e., even if heaven to offend it will not be a solitary coin left in one's pocket, tzedakah will still be given. And it is this boundless level of tzedakah that secures a complete atonement for the sins of our people, after which they will eat Because it says that the reason for the exile is because of our sin. That's the cause. And the exile is the effect. You remove the cause. You remove the effect. You remove the sin. What's the atonement for that sin? The ultimate atonement for the sin. The only ultimate atonement for the sin, he says, it's tzedakah without any limitation. Because there's certain things that even tshuva can't help. Even, even because if I missed an opportunity, there's nothing I can do. The only thing that can really make up and fill that void is when you give tzedakah without any limitation, which draws down Hashem's infinite light, which fills any void. So when a person, when even after you've given away your last penny, and yet you continue to give tzedakah, that's what he means. That's the positive thing. When the pocket will be empty, even the smallest coin, you've given everything, and yet you give even more. You go overboard. This is the ultimate shuvah, the ultimate atonement. And when you remove the cause, you remove the sin, then automatically Mashiach comes. Mashiach is a completely natural phenomenon. It, what's unnatural is that we're in exile. And the only reason we're in exile is because of sin, which is so unnatural for a Jew to sin. When you remove the cause through tzedakah, an unlimited type of tzedakah, then automatically Mashiach will come. In that split second, Mashiach will come. Rishlita explains that the Alpha Rebbe does not conclude the above-mentioned quotation about the precondition for the coming of Mashiach because it is quite possible that he did not want to write out the last words until the pocket will be empty of even the smallest coin. And this precondition of the sages can be fulfilled on the spiritual level by conducting oneself with the humility of the destitute. This could also explain why the Alpha Rebbe does not say when they are legally not obligated, but rather if they are legally not obligated. Alpha Rebbe was so careful in his wording, he didn't want to say anything negative. So he, did, he just says, the son of David will not come, etc. He doesn't quote the end of the passage of the Talmud until even the pockets will be empty of the smallest coin because it's not a, it's not a positive thing to say. You don't want to wish it on the Jew that they should, uh, their pocket should be empty. And, but, doesn't the Talmud say that Mashiach won't come until the pockets are empty, so we have no choice? He says, no, there is a choice. Because you can fulfill that in a spiritual sense. It doesn't have to be fulfilled literally. We have the choice. When the Torah says all these curses, all these negative things, it could be substituted with something spiritual. If a person will have the, the humility, because a person who's so poor, he doesn't even have a penny left in his pocket, he's crushed. He's completely humble. His ego, his arrogance is completely shattered. He has nothing left. He's so poor. He's a pauper. He doesn't even have a penny to his pocket. He's a pauper. He doesn't know how is he going to provide for his family. He doesn't have anything to his name. Imagine how, how he feels inside. His whole ego, his whole arrogance is completely shattered. So if a person has the option, you can fulfill that spiritually. You could remain wealthy, but have the humility of that pauper without being impoverished. Then you're actually spiritually wealthy. A person who has that humility, who has that humbleness, that down-to-earth, you can be wealthy, you can be living in the Upper East Side in Park Avenue, be on the Forbes 400, and yet be a down-to-earth, no ego, no arrogance, humble, grateful, thankful, godly, good, decent, kind. Then Hashem doesn't have to, doesn't have to impoverish you to crush your arrogance. You crush your own arrogance in a healthy way. 
then you can remain wealthy. And then it becomes a blessing. Then the money becomes a blessing. Money doesn't have to, why does Hashem have to make someone impoverished in order to break their ego, to break their arrogance? It's because money has become a curse for that person. His success has gotten to his head. And he became inflated, and his self-value became inflated, and he became impossible and arrogant, and lost his humanity on the way, and lost his kindness and his goodness, because he was not grounded. So Hashem has to bring him back, deflate the balloon, and bring him back to his humble beginnings. So he physically has to crush him and make him poor, and a poor person considered dead, and the person is completely shattered and broken, and then he becomes a mensch again. He rediscovers his heart. You know, they say someone needed a heart transplant. He says, I want a wealthy person's heart. heart." He says, why do you want a wealthy person's heart? He says, because I want an unused heart. (laughs) (laughs) So a person, wealth could be the greatest curse. We know someone, I'm not going to mention a name, who was best friends with someone who became extremely wealthy, a playwright, very successful. They grew up, they were best friends. They grew up together. The moment his friend became a celebrity, he dropped him like a hot potato. He was embarrassed of his old friend. They grew up in kindergarten through high school. They were best friends. But the money got to his head and he became an arrogant. And, you know, he's like, he's God. He's golden. I can't talk to my... This is sickness. This is an ill person, a very sick person. Nothing good will come out of this person. His money is the greatest curse. His money is a burden. His money is not a blessing. So money could be the ultimate, ultimate curse. And such a person, Hashem has to bring him back down to earth. So Hashem has to crush his arrogance. So he takes every penny away from him and then he suddenly becomes human again. Discovers his humanity. Be a mensch. You're not, you're not so hot. You're not God's gift to mankind. Just be down to earth and real and humble. But if a person could remain humble without Hashem having to crush him, but on your own, Remain that earthy, down to earth. Don't, don't let it get to your head. This is, this is, this is the challenge. That's why the Alter Rebbe didn't want to quote the end of the, the passage. Mashiach won't come until you don't have a penny left to make. And nevertheless, you still give tzedakah. It doesn't have to be that way. Alter Rebbe says you have a choice. Remain wealthy. But have that humility of the person who doesn't have a penny left. And therefore, if you have that humility, you'll continue to give and give generously and give in abundance and give way beyond your limitation. Without any any calculation. And we have to tell you, we know many such Jews living here in the Upper East Side. Um, They all have a connection to Chabad. (laughs) Very wealthy Jews extremely wealthy Jews, but the, their success did not get to their head. They remained humble, down to earth, grounded, real. And somehow all these people find their way to the Rebbe, to Chabad, to Tanya, to Hasidus. Because there's no ego, there's no arrogance, just real Jews, real people. And the amount of tzedakah that they have given and are giving, they're fulfilling this letter of the Alter Rebbe. They're giving tzedakah. Maybe they keep tzedakah way beyond 10%, 20%. Such huge amounts of tzedakah, which is astonishing. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Unheard of. They would make Moses Montefiore proud. 
levels of tzedakah that they're getting without any calculation not only in the good times because inevitably everyone goes through ups and downs and they say it's a kunst to give tzedakah is it a big deal to give tzedakah when things are going well the kunst is to give tzedakah when things are difficult and they don't stop and they continue to give even when they're facing tremendous difficulty financially and Hashem always blesses them and they come back even stronger than ever so we're seeing this letter we, we, we know Jews who are living this letter fulfilling this letter who have that humility and have that goodness and that, a level of kindness that the world has never seen before a level chesed Hashem it's way beyond even the limitations of the code of Jewish law of, of, the, of the Torah without any calculations extraordinary levels of tzedakah and in their merit and in the merit of each and every one of us doing kindness and being selfless and looking out for another Jew and going way beyond the letter of the law we will merit coming of Mashiach Hashem cannot remain indifferent Hashem will respond in kind and He will do for us the ultimate kindness the ultimate tzedakah the ultimate act of tzedakah it's gratuitous kindness take us all to His Chabad house the ultimate Chabad house the third temple on the upper east side of Yerushalayim and He'll host us so graciously just like the four or five thousand Chabad houses all, all over the world day in day out host every single Jew with unconditional love, so graciously and so kindly, and anything they need materially or spiritually, they're there for them, 24-7. Hashem will also be there for us and host every single Jew, all 14 million, and take care of all of our needs, materially and spiritually and personally, and host us in the ultimate base Chabad, and the ultimate act, gratuitous kindness of tzedakah, and the next shir will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself, this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.